Thank you, Lord. We give you praise, Lord, for not leaving us alone. God, we thank you for stepping out of heaven in Jesus Christ and coming to this earth, showing us what your heart was like, showing us the kingdom, showing us your love and promising never to leave us, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice that cleanses us and forgives us of our sin. We thank you for the new life that we have because you raised from the dead. And Lord, today we just choose to rest in your presence. Knowing that you've always been with us, you're here with us right now. And that you're going before us. Thank you for that faithfulness. And Lord, we welcome you right now to speak to us words of life. Would you wash our eyes today to see forward clearly? Would you put a vision in our hearts? Would you draw our hearts in this place together with one heart, one mind, one spirit, intent on one purpose? We come seeking you now, listening to the word we need to hear. We love you in this place today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. My name is uh, Fred Nelson. For those that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, And this is Antioch. Community Church, in case you don't know where you are. (laughs) We here at Antioch exist to spread a passion for Jesus, His people, and His purposes in the earth. And this morning, we want to take a look at Scripture and ask God to speak to us about who we are as the church and who we are as the church at Antioch. You know, our names carry power. There's no more uh, central question in the human soul than the question, who am I? We we all want to know who God is, and we want to know who we are. Why am I here? Is there something significant and special about me? And our names carry power a sense of that identity. Our names on one level are the most simple answer to that question, who am I? Someone asks, who are you? You say your name. Who am I? I am Fred Nelson. And our names carry an individual, unique identity, and our names carry a corporate identity. So my full name is Fred Roland Nelson, and being Fred makes me actually pretty unique in here today. There's only one other Fred that I know of around here, and he was in the first service. That's my dad. He's gone. (laughs) Now, I'm actually not a junior, by the way, because we have different middle names. So Fred Roland Nelson kind of sets me apart. And even for you, you may uh, share somebody else. You may have a common name or something, but there's something about your your name, your middle name, that kind of starts to set you apart as someone who's unique. And there's something in the human soul that needs that, isn't it? Isn't there? There, there's, there's something in all of us that needs to know we're special, that needs to know that we're significant, to, that needs to know that, that, hey, I am different. I'm not just kind of one of the masses, but there's something special about me. And your name carries part of that. But all of you in this room also have a last name. You have a last name that ties you in to a family. And that name, for the good or for the bad, ties you into a family. It ties you into a people that is bigger than just yourself. And not only do we need an identity that's unique and personal, but we need a corporate identity. We need an identity that's a part of a group that's part of something higher and bigger than ourselves. And you look around the world and everybody's looking for this, right? 
You see people around the world and they're looking to be attached to some sort of group that's bigger than themselves so they can fight a sense of identity, you know? So, you know, most of us in this room, we would call ourselves Americans, and there's a, an American identity. Now, <clears throat> even beyond that, a lot of us in this room are Texans, and we kind of like that just as much, right? You know, or a Houstonian, or maybe whatever uh, uh, area or, of the city that you live in, you kind of identify with that area of the city because there's something about it that kind of speaks about who you are, or at least who you want to be, Right? Um, you see people in our, in our culture, it's, it's, it's uh, about to be college football season. You know a few people excited about that um, because a, a lot of times people are looking to latch their identity around a, a, a college team, you know, or, or, uh, or, or a university, you know. So I grew up um, with an Aggie. Uh, my dad was an Aggie, right? Okay, I, I, there need to be a few whoops in here. There weren't many in the first service. Yeah, so I get the whoop deal, and, you know, I, I grew up with the ring shining in my eyes, you know, so I kind of get that, but there's kind of a corporate identity, right, for, for you and maybe the, the, uh, a college or a group or an educational group that you, you kind of identified with, you know, we're all looking for it. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe it's a business group. Maybe it's just, you know, kind of a little name that you call your friends. So we got our little friends, and we're, we're this little group, right, Okay. We're, we're looking for this corporate identity. I remember when I first moved to Houston, back to Houston here um, about uh, two and a half years ago, I was walking around, and man, the Texans were doing really good, and everybody's wearing a Texan shirt. Everybody's got a J.J. Watt shirt, and there weren't many Astros shirts around town at the time. The Astros weren't doing very good. Texans were doing uh, pretty good, right, at the time. Then they had a bad season, stopped seeing some of those Texan shirts come out, and all of a sudden this year we're seeing a few more Astros hats and shirts coming back out. Why? Because, because they're winning, right? They're winning. They have a chance to make the playoffs. And you see, the, the corporate identity that you and I want to be attached to is a winner. You and I want to be a part of something that's successful. Some of you have a last name and you're running away from it because you, you just don't want to be attached to that anymore. And some of you, you look back and at your family and you carry a name and that name means something to you. So for, for in our family, the name Nelson means something. I, I inherited something that what Nelson meant. You know, when I look at my, my parents' lives, I, I see a message of perseverance. And to be a Nelson means to persevere. And, I, and I'm teaching this to my children. So, you know, Noah just, just started tackle football for the first time this year. And so I, what am I telling him? I'm saying, uh, I'm saying, Noah, when you're tired, when it's at the end, Nelsons don't give up. Nelsons persevere when they're hurting and suffering. And he's catching. He's doing awesome, by the way. Because that's who a Nelson is. There's something bigger than ourselves that we are a part of. If you are a follower of Christ, your relationship with Christ is unique. And there's not another one like it on earth today or in the generations that preceded you. <laughs> That's awesome. You are the only you, and God relates to you in a, in a unique way than he has anybody else he's ever created. Wow. That's good. But every one of you in this room that follows Christ, you are also a part of something bigger than yourself. For good or for bad, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you are a part of the church. And the church has an identity that's much maligned a lot of times in our society, even within the church. The idea of the church and who the church is and the actual experience of the church is something not all that it's cracked up to be. But who God says the church is in Scripture is that the church is the bride of Christ. And Christ is married to the church. And there is no following Christ without coming alongside his bride. There's no Fred without Abeka right now. We're one in the Lord. And God wants to restamp an identity on us to say we are a part of the church. And though the church on earth today is not perfect, Christ is. And he is purifying that church and he's calling us to press in to one another, to this, this thing that he has is, he is started that's bigger than ourselves that he made to change the world. And today, I not only want to look at what the identity of the church is, but I specifically 
want to hone in on what the scripture says about a church that was birthed at Antioch in scripture. You see, we here in Houston, in this body, have a specific name, Antioch Community Church. Where did that church, where did that name come from? It came from a church that we read about in the book of Acts. And whenever you, you read through the scripture, you see uh, different churches that, uh, that were started. And each of those different churches carried a little unique identity. And here in this city, we know there are a lot of great churches. And God is doing a lot of great things through a lot of different people. But God has given us a unique identity and a purpose and a DNA of who we are that those of us that call Antioch our home, we need to know who we are. So let's look at the scripture today to see who is this church at Antioch. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be, begin reading in verse 19 when the church at Antioch was birthed. It says, Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And we'll keep going there. Verse 25, it says, speaking of Barnabas, it says, this man named Barnabas then went to Tarsus, another city, to look for Saul. Saul is who would later be named Paul. And he said, when Barnabas found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So who was this church in Scripture that met in the city of Antioch? This church at Antioch is first a gathering of the scattered. A gathering of people that were scattered, that were brought together for a new work in this city. You see there in verse 19, it says that, um, that there were people who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Stephen was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, and he was martyred for his faith. And when he was, those who were followers of Jesus, they began to scatter because the persecution was coming. But as they scattered, they took the gospel with them everywhere they went, and some of them showed up at Antioch. So one way to look at who this scattered people was, was this was a wounded people, a persecuted people, a people that were, that were moving away from a place of wounding and hurt and persecution. And there are many people today in our nation, around the world, in our city, that are scattered followers of Jesus because they have been wounded or hurt by the church. You see, it was Jews, it was their, their brothers who, had, who began persecuting this, these early Christians. And, and for us in this room, we would be remiss to, to not realize that there are many people today who are participate in a church, and it's not all that we thought it would be. That uh, maybe it was a controlling leader or a passing leader, or maybe it was the leaders were great, but the, the community, you felt isolated from that and you got hurt or wounded, or maybe there was something happening there or the way it was operating, and it just, it just seemed to grieve your spirit, and so you've moved on from that. There was a wound there, and as a result, what can happen there is we become disillusioned. We become disillusioned and just say, we go one place, that's not perfect. We go another place and that's not perfect. And all of a sudden, we carry these things with us and we start to believe that maybe the church isn't what it needs to be. I can follow Jesus and I'm just going to pull my family together, or a few close friends, and we're just going to kind of do the thing here because that church out there, that little institution out there, it hurts. And I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And I believe in our day and our generation, God is healing some wounded hearts. Healing some wounded hearts. Because here's the reality. Here at Antioch in this church, we're not going to be perfect. And we can't promise that you won't get hurt along the way. But we can say this will be a place where we seek the presence of God. And when there is conflict and hurt, we're going to press through in relationship to the other side. The church at Antioch was a gathering 
of the scattered and the scattered, many of them were wounded. Many of the scattered were also foreigners. It says right there that there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyprus was an island out in the Mediterranean. Cyrene was uh, in Africa. And they were all uh, coming together to this city in Antioch. Antioch is, is, is more where modern-day Syria is today. And so these new people were moving in to the area, and they were foreigners. They didn't have home. Maybe they were of different ethnicity. And if not of a different ethnicity, they were at least new to the area. They didn't know the culture and the ways of that city. And for us, the scattered that God is gathering together are also the new to this area. I mean, there, there are like 5,000 uh, new refugees from different countries that move into, um, into Houston uh, every year. And there are countless numbers of others who are coming to Houston because of the economic prosperity and find there are a lot of jobs to be had here. And, there, and, and Houston is a gathering place for people looking for work and opportunity. And there are new people here. And God has said, you are a gathering of the scattered, so you're going to collect the wounded, but you're also going to connect the, the, the foreigners and those who are new to the area. And it says that the people that, that, that came to Antioch, that they were at first spreading the, the, the word of God only to the Jews. But then it says that many at Antioch began to spread the good news to the Gentiles. And the church at Antioch was one of the first places where you see the gospel spreading to other people that were not Jews. Okay, And so what? The, the heart of the people of Antioch was to reach those who don't know him, that didn't know Jesus, and taking the gospel to those who had never heard, taking the gospel to those who are lost and do not know Jesus. And then lastly, you see in these verses, in, in verse 25, you see um, um, this guy uh, Barnabas who uh, comes to the church at Antioch and sees God moving at Antioch, and he goes to another city and he finds Saul. Who is Saul? Saul was the guy who got blinded on the road to Damascus. God rocked his world, saved him, healed him, restored him. And all of a sudden, Saul is ministering to every, everybody. But for 14 years, Saul was kind of living a very independent life. He was ministering. He was seeking God. God was giving him revelation. He was helping a lot of people. But up until this point, Paul, at this point, Saul, again, I'll use those names interchangeably, he didn't have a tribe. He didn't have a home base where he, he, he called home a people that was his. And, and he, ha, he didn't really step into the fullness of his calling as a missionary to the Gentile world until he found that tribe. And so Barnabas went out and found this leader who was walking with Jesus, going for it, but living kind of on his own, separated and isolated. He brought him into the family of Antioch, and then all of a sudden, Paul found his home, and he found some strong footing and some brothers and sisters so that when he started out and said, man, God's called me to the Gentile world, he was sent out and empowered by the family. And when he came back from his trips, he came back to the family. The church at Antioch was a gathering of the scattered, of the wounded, of the new, of those who were lost and didn't know Jesus, and unempowered leaders. God has called us as a church, Antioch, Houston, to be a gathering of the scattered. Antioch Community Church, Houston, is a part of a movement of Antioch churches and church planning movements around the world. Um, in 1986, God moved in the heart of a man named Jimmy Seibert and gave him a vision for, God, for, for God's church. And God gave him a vision to see the church resurrected and to, to see a place where the church could reclaim the process of training and sending people out into the world to make disciples, plant churches, and to bring kingdom restoration and you know, it's interesting just thinking about Jimmy. The, the day he joined the church that he started this movement from was the same day that the pastor of that church announced that he was living in a homosexual lifestyle and abused many people in the church. And God called him that day to be a part of the church and to see the church reborn from the ground up. And he stepped into this and he started a training school 
which is the, the basis for the Antioch training school that we lead today. And he started this, this training school with the vision of, of saying, what if some people actually did the word of God? What if some people actually not only were hearers of the word, but doers only? What if we actually read the Bible and did what it said? What if we prayed and prayed like it mattered? What if we fasted and, and, and got rid of things in our life to make more space for God? What if we spent time with God every day, listening to his voice, learning to hear him and to receive his love? What if we dove into the word of God and let it strengthen us and call us to action? What if we learned to share the gospel with those that we live day-to-day life with that didn't know him? What if we learned how to really make disciples? What if we really did go to unreached nations and share the gospel? And what if we were just not hearers of the word, but we were doers also? And this training school began. It turned into a, youth, uh, a college ministry, which eventually turned into a new church plant, Antioch Community Church in Waco. And Antioch Community Church in Waco launched a church planting Movement Today, fast forward 30 years later, the Antioch um, movement has uh, 27 U.S. churches of, we, of which we are one. The Antioch uh, movement has 66 works internationally. And what those, those works don't tell you is that there are also um, uh, hundreds of house churches that have been planted in some of the hardest reaches uh, reach, uh, hardest to reach places in the world, among uh, the Mongolian, uh, in, in, in Mongolia, in Indonesia, in India, uh, in behind the wall of the, 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 the Muslim world. We've seen church planting movements, reproducing house churches that have been started. Hundreds, thousands of people coming to Christ. So from the very beginning, this was the heart to see the church resurrected and built from the ground up. I got involved with the church in um, uh, 1997 when I moved from Houston back to Waco, got involved there, went back to seminary and, and, uh, and heard uh, about this church uh, at the time that God was really moving. And I went in and I saw a lot of good things that I like and a lot of good things that I had a lot of questions about. And so I was kind of one foot in, one foot out for a year. But, but man, I got in a life group and man, I started having people invest in my life when I was able to let down my pride. I was let, let people speak into my life. And I saw people getting free from the stuff that I was struggling with. I saw people who, who really believed that the church was the, the hope of the world in Christ. And I started beginning to believe. But I was kind of one foot in and one foot out. And in, um, in the year 2000, I went to a conference and I, and, uh, and, and I heard a guy speak about the church and reaching the new millennium. And it was at a Billy Graham conference, okay, for preachers. So here's a Billy Graham conference, okay, kind of the poster child for, you know, crusade ministry in the, in the 20th century, right? And here was this speaker saying the most effective evangelism in the, 20th, in the 21st century is not going to be these mass gatherings and crusades, but it's going to be small group communities in worship and life-on-life discipleship. That's going to change the world. And all of a sudden, the, the, the lights went on with me, and I was like, man, that is what I've been going to here in Antioch, and I made Antioch my tribe. And I said, hey, I've been floating around doing all the conferences, doing all the independent thing, but that just made me addicted to sin and depressed and very lonely. But now I've got a tribe of people I can jump in with, and man, let's go for it. And I've got questions, and everything's not perfect, but man, this is my people. In 2001, uh, met and married my wife, uh, met her in life group. Uh, we got married, so Beck and I got married in uh, December 2001. Three months later, uh, the church had come back and asked us if we would step on staff as the young adult pastors there. Beck and I were on staff at this church in Waco for 10 years. Uh, my role emerged into being, uh, overseeing our adult ministry and being one of the teaching pastors in the church. 2009, I was very comfortable in my role as pastor-teacher in this church, and you know, we were a part of a church planning church, and you know, excited about what God was doing with all these new works, but just thought I had kind of my place and living in my little comfort zone. And then one day, I had a couple friends come by my office and say, We feel like God wants us to pray for you. They began to pray for me, and man, they began to just kind of read my mail and th- speak things over my children, over our family. And man, I was just undone and just felt the presence of God. And they spoke in that moment that God was calling us to start a new work. 
And, and after they left, I went back and I began to journal and I just say, okay, Lord, we're surrendered. We'll do whatever you say. Um, what, where do you want to go? Do you want to send us out? Do you want to send us somewhere around the world? You know, we'll go anywhere. We'll do anything. And I say, Lord, what are you saying? And he said, Houston, Texas. He said, Houston, Texas. And so I said, Houston, man, that's where I'm from. I'm not sure about that. I don't, really? You know? You know, I, I, that, didn't, that didn't just strike a real enthusiastic chord in me. So I just journaled it, and I just tucked it away, and I didn't talk to another person, even my wife, for a year. For a year, God just was relentless. Houston, Houston, Houston. I'd just be hearing about all these things happening in Houston. I had one guy one day uh, come up to me and just, and just randomly just said, man, I was praying for you today, and you ever thought about planting a church in Houston? I'm like, Really, God? Really? You know, I mean, is that what you said? You know, he said, so I finally talked to Becca. You know, I, I talked to Becca and I said, I think God's speaking a change, you know, and I feel like he's saying Houston. And she was like, wow, a change. That's exciting. What's God saying? Okay, not so excited about Houston, uh, but maybe, maybe like Afghanistan or, you know, Turkey or something like that. that. You know, that's my wife's heart. Like, let's go to the hardest place. Kind of like Houston, you know. So we're just kind of stumbling along here and just trying to hear God. And we started running to, into some folks in Houston. And um, one time we ran into Bo and Allison Egger at a play as we were visiting family here. And, and Allison just kind of goes off. And she's like, when is Antioch coming to Houston? I have been praying since 2007 that God would send an Antioch church to Houston. When are y'all going to come? And Beck and I are like, I don't know, uh, maybe, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, so again and again, we're hearing, what do we start? We're starting to tap into the scattered. You know, I remember having a conversation with Chad Harris that same weekend, you know, and he was just pouring his heart out and just saying, man, this is what we're hungry for kind of thing. And we, we started hearing of these different groups and people that, that knew a little bit about Antioch and Waco. We were always getting phone calls of, hey, when, are, when is there going to be an Antioch church in Waco? Or what church can you recommend that's like you guys? This, all these kind of things. So, so finally, you know, we praying with the elders and God says, go. God is saying it's time to go. And for Becca and I, I want to say the first step was a step of obedience, it was just like, we were surrendered, we'll do whatever you want to say, but I have to say from the beginning, our hearts weren't in it, because we were just like, Jesus, we'll do what you say, but we got to know what you're doing. We need some passion and some vision to rise up in us. We'll obey, but what is your heart here? And I remember one, um, uh, one weekend, we were down visiting some family, but also kind of exploring, Lord, where are you wanting us in the city? What are you wanting us to do here? And I was praying that morning and seeking God, saying, God, speak to me. And, and uh, give me your heart. And so I read Isaiah chapter 11. And when I was reading through it, verse 12 just jumped out off the page to me. And it said this. He, the Lord, will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And then all of a sudden, it just leapt off the page. And God was saying, this is what I'm doing. I am gathering the scattered. They're scattered, even on this city that's so large, that has so many big and good churches. There is still a scattered people that God is wanting to do a new thing through. Will you be a part of what I'm doing in gathering a new people? And as I gather that new people, I'm going to raise a banner for the nations. And that banner is going to be Jesus and as we lift up the name of Jesus, we're going to gather the scattered and we're going to mobilize believers in Houston, not only to make disciples, plant churches, bring restoration in Houston, but also to the nations of the earth. And I was fired up when I got that word. I was so inspired. And Beck and I were having a, a breakfast that, that morning. We're actually with, with Billy and Teresa. And we were going to talk to them about jumping in and being a part of our church. And that morning as we're driving out to meet with these guys, um, Beck, Beck and I were saying, I was just like, Becca, what's God speaking to you? What, what's God speaking about the city? What's God speaking? And he said, Fred, what I just see is I feel like there's people here that are sheep without a shepherd. And they're scattered all over this place. And, and I see a lot of people who are doing a lot of great things to reach Houston, but who is carrying the nations in their heart? And I think there's a place for us to gather the scattered sheep and to call people not only to Houston, but through Houston to the nations. And I was like, I got a verse to back that up. How about this? God was speaking, and God was speaking the same word to both of us that morning. And that's his heart, and that's his calling for who we are and as a people. And it's been so exciting for me 
to see this word come to pass before our very eyes. And there's so many of you in this room, and I could go testimony after testimony of people who would say, I was one of those scattered sheep that God found and he brought and he, and he pulled in. I remember when we first announced in July of 2012 that we're starting this church. And man, people came out of the woodwork. You know, just saying, I want to be part, you know, what, what do you, you know, share what, what are you guys doing? And we were planning to leave a year later, but, but we started having some interest meetings. We came down one weekend, we, we thought we were going to meet with 10 or 12 people that were interested, and that ended up blowing up into these dinners of, of like, like 100 people we met with, and they're saying, when are you coming? So we ended up saying, okay, we can't wait a year, let's go in five months. <laughs> so we put it on overdrive uh, there, and, and when we made that decision, to, to, to start this church early, God's favor just began to land on us. Um, the day after we made that decision, I got a phone call from a guy in Waco who said, I heard you're moving to Houston. We're interested in buying your house. I never put it on the market. I never told anybody when we were moving, how we were moving. I got a buyer that day. No realtor fees. That was a blessing. Bless you guys that are realtors. But that was a blessing. That was a blessing. God, and then all of a sudden, we started having these leaders, and we had about 30 leaders that jumped in and said, we're going to do this. We started meeting on Sundays to do training, to start life groups. We started having prayer meetings. In early November of 2012, we had a vision rally, and, a, and, and we just kind of put the word out for people to come hear about what we're doing. We had 150 people show up at that. So super, super encouraging um, with that. And, uh, and man, God gave us a word that night at that vision rally and felt like God was saying, you need to speak a word of hope. And this, this word, scattered sheep, was just resonating through us. Speak a word of hope to the wounded, the new, the lost, and the unempowered leader. Speak this word of hope. And we spoke this word, and I'll never forget at the end of this. Uh... Man, I can't look at you, bro. I'll never forget at the end of this uh... time together, Chad Hall comes up to me. And he's in tears. Just saying, hey, I'm one, I'm one of those scattered people. And I've lived in this city for two years, and I've hopped in and out of churches. And I've gone to work, and I'm living here, but there's not a person in this city I could call a friend. <laughs> he said, I'm in. Let's do this. He jumped in with us, started serving with our kids. My kids love him, just, just pouring into our kids, serving from the very beginning of the church, he jumped in our first ATS class. God started doing amazing things in his life through that whole process. He jumped in with the life group that started from the beginning down in the heights. Pulled Michael Goodwin pulled him in, and, and, uh, um, and he started walking in more community. Ended up a few months later moving in with Wes and Sarah Lipscomb. Um, and um, along the journey, you know, uh, a girl that he had been dating off and on through the years, they got back together. And this earlier this summer, I had the privilege of doing Chad and Maddie's wedding. At, amen. And what was so beautiful, what was so beautiful was standing before them and seeing a, a, hand, a, a couple of the bridesmaids and groomsmen, but also so many people of the crowd. I saw Antioch. And I saw a family that was there together around these guys. I could tell a hundred testimonies. But that's who Antioch is. We are a gathering of the scattered. We're not a gathering of the perfect, but we're a gathering of the scattered. And God is doing, has done, and is doing a new thing through us. Who's your tribe? Who's your tribe? Now, again, everybody's looking for a corporate identity. And we're not the only thing happening in the city. But what I do want to call us to is that we all need a family. We all need a home. And who's yours? That's who we are, and I invite you to be a part of it if you don't have one. The church at Antioch is a gathering of the scattered. The church at Antioch is a gathering for the presence of God and for the encouragement of the people of God. In verse 21, again, speaking of the church in Antioch, Chapter 11, it says this, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, verse 23. And when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. 
And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And in verse 20, 26, 26, it says, The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. When Barnabas came from Jerusalem and stepped into this new church at Antioch, his testimony was that the Lord's hand was on them. And he gave evidence that the grace of God was moving among them. He gave witness that the presence of God was in their midst. And that is why one reason God is calling us together as a church. He is calling us together as a church to be a dwelling place for the Spirit of God to live and to move. Our vision every Sunday morning when we gather is that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to encounter the presence of the living God. We hope you hear good messages. We hope worship is good. We hope you're encouraged by the people you're around. But what we need most is God. And Jesus has promised us, even when he left earth and ascended into heaven, he promised his followers, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus is with us. He is with us here, though not in the flesh. He is with us by his spirit. And I want to go on record this morning as saying, at Antioch Community Church, we love the Holy Spirit. We love the Father. We love the Son. We love the Holy Spirit. We love it all. But my concern is that the Holy Spirit gets shortchanged in a lot of our churches today. Maybe some people are afraid of being charismatic. They're afraid of being some weird things happening or some things that they feel like are not being very unbiblical. But unapologetically, we believe in the Holy Spirit because God has put His Spirit in us. When we accepted Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And He is with us, all who have called on His name. The Holy Spirit is with us. But there is also something unique in Scripture. When the believers come together or when the, the people of God are seeking the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, not only he's with us always, he's faithful, but that the Holy Spirit manifests his presence in a way that's tangible, visible, so that everybody knows that God is with them. We are not merely a human church raising up human workers for a human glory. We are a spirit birth church, spirit-led church for the glory of Jesus Christ. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If charismatic means uh, weird and abusing things of God and emotionally manipulating people, then let's do away with that. But if charismatic means I believe in the gifts of the spirit and the power of God are to be active and present in the church today, then I'm in. Then I'm in. And that's the church that I want to be a part of. The church at Antioch in Scripture hosted the presence of God. The Lord's hand was on them and the grace of God was moving on them. And that's where we're praying. Sunday mornings, life groups, prayer gatherings, the encounter night that we're going to have tonight, social gatherings, when we do baptisms or parties. When people walk into our fellowship, there should be a sense of God is in this place. There shouldn't be, hey, these are great people. I hope we're great people. I hope we love really well. But we want people to meet with God. And that is who we are. God's made us to be a dwelling place for his spirit. And you also see here in these verses that, that the people were gathered together for the presence of God, but they were also gathered together to encourage one another. Barnabas stepped in, and it says that he started encouraging them, building in courage for action, encouraging them, bringing them not just telling them how great they are, but building in courage for action. It says that Paul and, 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 and Saul began equipping them, teaching them, training them. In, in chapter 13, we see in the church in Antioch that they were gathered together for worship and prayer and edification of believers. And we're saying, Lord, let that be true of us as well, that we would be an authentic community where people step in to our church and find encouragement 
This is why we do life group. Life groups are small group gatherings that meet house to house. We have about 27 across the city right now. These are not a program of the church. We believe that there's something very unique about what God intended the church to be when we stop being, um, uh, come out of the rows and we get in a circle. You see, in our culture, we're very uh, accustomed to and we're trained to view and spectate things. But when we step out of the rows and we get in a circle house to house, then we, um, we, we make ourselves known and we begin to know one other people. An authentic relationship begins to happen. The church is the church when relationships are being forged together. And, and what you see in the church in Antioch in Scripture is that they were authentic. What an interesting statement here says, um, uh, the, the, uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay? Now, when we look at that and we think of ourselves, we're not saying we're the first and the best of anything, right? Our little tribe here, we've got our own things, and there are great things happening around the city. And we bless the works of other churches around. We want, our city will not... God will not do what he wants to do through our city unless other churches fulfill the call of God that he's put on them. And we want to get behind that because we believe in a kingdom vision around here. We bless them, we pray for them, and we give our financial resources to them and their efforts as well. But the, so we're not saying the first and the best, but what we do see here with the church in Antioch is they were authentic. They were the real deal. It says, it says they were called Christians because Christian means Christ-like. And the way that that community was operating looked like Jesus. It was real. We're not playing games. We're not playing religious games. We put on the happy face and we go on and we live our other lives. Here's my concern with the American church. We're bobbleheads. We've got big old evangelical brains that's being poured in with information. But our bodies are anemic because we're not living out the things of God. We've stored up information in our brains, but we're not living it. God's called us to be more than hearers of the word, but doers of it also. That's who we are. That's what he's called us to do, to live this thing out, to be doers, to be doers of the word. Again, that's our, our heart behind life group. We look at the early church and they devoted themselves. Devoted, that's a, that's a word that, that speaks of the heart, not just religious form, but the heart given to prayer the apostles' teaching to fellowship. They were giving to one another that had needs. They were seeing people come to Christ day by day, not just through services, but through relationships with one another. And the church was being built up and it was expanding. It was a place where they could find faith in the presence of God, a place where there was authentic, real community, and a place where they find the ministry of Jesus. I could tell a ton of stories, but let me tell one that many of you have heard before. When we started this church um, in January of 2013, we had a lot of scattered people coming in from all over. And in the, uh, the next six or seven months, we had a lot of people coming in and out of our doors. As we were growing, we were kind of like right at that 150 mark, and we just kind of, a lot of different people coming in and out, and God was building up a core team for us. And um, I remember um, in May of 2013 meeting a, a couple who had visited for the first time that Sunday. And I found out that this couple, um, uh, one month earlier, uh, she had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. It was Bill and Diana Abair, and um, um, they had been diagnosed with, uh, with ovarian cancer that had spread into the lymph nodes. And at the time, the doctors were um, uh, not giving her a life expectancy term. But as they pieced things together, um, the, the doctors were, in, in so many words, saying you have about a year, maybe a year and a half if you're really lucky. And she was at a place where the cancer was inoperable because of the way that it was spreading. And they came to our church. So they were having some work done in their house, and they met a guy named Chad Harris, who owns a business in town and was doing some work on their house. And Chad began to minister to them and pray for them and encourage them. He says, hey, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday. I've been part of this new church called Antioch. And Chad brings them here and introduces to me at the front during the ministry time that Sunday. And, and I'll never forget uh, Diane looking at me and just saying, I was just diagnosed with this. I don't have long to live, but we felt like we needed to be in a church that believed that God heals. And we began to pray for her and to believe for God to do the impossible in her life. 
They very quickly got involved in a life group that loved and supported them. I was a part of a lot of these group texts that these, um, you know, uh, the, this, this older crowd was, was doing here. And they were encouraging, giving scriptures, going with them to doctor's appointments and building them up and, 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 and strengthening their faith when it was down. We began to see God move. Uh, her, it, uh, the, the cancer was inoperable because of the places it spread, but they saw the, the cancer begin to diminish in certain areas, allowing, them to ha- allowing her to have the surgery that she needed to have it removed. And here we are two years later, and Diana Abair is cancer-free. She's cancer-free. That's really good. That's really good. And I was uh, talking with her this week, and, and, uh, and, and she, said, she said, you know, through that whole journey, my kidneys were really damaged. There's a lot of medication, a lot of the treatments that were going through it, but I've been getting some more therapy and praying, and, and all my life is continuing to pray for me. And, man, I just got a, a report that my, my, my kidneys are regenerating, and God is, is, God is really doing it. And, she's, and her testimony was, the healing goes on. The healing goes on. And what I want to say is when I read the Bible about Jesus' ministry and I look in the book of Acts and see what the church is, I say, that's the church I want to be, about, uh, be a part of today. The ministry of Jesus, we saw healing, you see deliverance, you see authentic life-on-life discipleship, and that's who we are. That's the community and the nature of who he's made us to be. The church at Antioch is a gathering of the scattered, and it's a gathering for the presence of God, the encouragement of God with one another. And lastly, I'll just say this. The church at Antioch is a people with a global mission. With a global mission. Acts 13, 1 through 3. It says, Now the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who would later be Paul again. While they were worshiping the Lord, fasting in the presence of God, authentic worship, encouraging one another. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them off. And this right here was the launching of Paul's first missionary journey to the Gentile world. And what you see throughout scripture, when Jesus gave this command to go and make disciples to all nations, He started with a person. He brought that person into a people. And then he sent individuals out to those places where the gospel had not yet been, had had been spread. To make disciples, to plant churches, and to bring kingdom restoration. That's the story of Acts. That's what we see happening here. The church at Antioch was not a church that was content in just serving itself. The church at Antioch existed for those in the city of Antioch that had not heard, and it existed for those among unreached nations that had not heard. And this is who we are as Antioch. We are a go church. Now, I want people to come to church. I would love for more and more people to come to our services You know, I would love for more and more people to get involved in life group. I want that. We're strategizing for that. But we're more than a come and sit people. We're more than a come and spectate people. We are a go people. We come to find the presence of God and encouragement so that we can go. And we are a go people. And God has called us to go into our city first and foremost. In 2010, um, as we're preparing uh, to, to, to move to Houston and we're doing some research on the city, we found um, a, a, a research project done by the University of Houston. And uh, one of the, the, the stats or the demographics they were studying was the church population in the greater Houston area. And one thing that they discovered is that one out of every two people among the 6.5 million people in the Houston metroplex, only one in two claimed to be born again. One of two, Houston, Texas, a lot of big churches, a lot of great churches. Half of the people would not claim to be bored again. Maybe uh, more, than, more than one and two, maybe go to church, maybe more than one, one or two, you know, or kind of around religious things. But as far as an a authentic, born-again relationship with Jesus Christ, one and two. And I just want to say that's not okay. That is our backyard. And God has called us in Houston, Texas, to make disciples, 
plant churches, and bring kingdom restoration. Let me share one testimony on this that uh, uh, a lot of you guys know well that, that uh, really kind of epitomizes a lot of our vision for what we want to believe God to do in our city. So two years ago, a little over two years ago, there was a, there was a, a, a college student, a, a young 19-year-old named Nam Wynn. And Nam didn't know Jesus. Nam came from a, a Buddhist background, and there wasn't a known believer in his family at all. Generations passed. They were Buddhist. Through Nam's high school years, he had built some relationships with um, uh, several different people um, who, who were believers walking with Jesus. He had the gospel shared with him, but he had never responded to that and, and kind of living his kind of own life and direction. And in July of 2012, I believe the Spirit of God started to stir his heart. There became a, a dissatisfaction with his life and where he was going, and he began reaching out to some friends. He called one friend, Thomas, and he said, Thomas, I think I need to go to church with you. Where are you going? And Thomas had just started coming to Archer. He's like, hey, come with me to Antioch. Let's see, um, see what it's all about. So he shows up in July of 2012, and it was our short-term trip testimony Sunday. So if you were here last week, you got a good uh, um, uh, a feel for what that's like. We shared some pretty wild stuff, didn't we? All right? So some crazy. So he is hearing about the salvations. He's hearing God moving in the nations. He's hearing about healings. And he even said one of the things that struck him most was one guy that was on this trip who, um, who said on, on the trip, God set him free from a smoking addiction that he had. And, he's, and he heard that, and he said, what is going on in these people's lives? At the end of that service, God prompted me to share the gospel and ask for a raise of hands for those who'd like to receive Christ. I don't, I don't do that every Sunday, but I did this Sunday. And all of a sudden, right over here, Nam's arm pops up. And everybody on the road just went, whoa. Really, you know, they're stunned. What, what, what has happened? So, so Nam, you can see the presence of God on him. And Paul and Zach, so a few of the friends gathered around him, an opportunity to lead Nam in a prayer to receive Christ. A few days later, Nam is at home alone in his own room and has a visitation by God that he would just describe as indescribable. And God met him there with power and he was transformed forever. And Nam began devouring the word of God and living a missional lifestyle. And if you were around, uh, any, around us here in those early days, you kind of uh, heard about Zach and Nam. And Zach and Nam were floating around, and uh, Zach uh, Hodges over here getting on fire for God, two of our college students, and they were out in the city seeing people come to Christ, seeing people set free from pain, drawing people into the church, and they were just living for it. And during that season, God began to put a nation on Nam's heart, and he started thinking about God's heart for India and just getting dreams and visions and God passioning his heart. And we had the opportunity last summer to send Nam to uh, India uh, for three months on an Antioch stenter program in Bangalore, India. He had the opportunity to wash the feet of the poorest of the poor on earth, to share the gospel, share the good news with the poor, to make disciples and to start house churches in Bangalore, India. And he came back glowing, stepped right into ATS, and God began to do this amazing transformational work from the inside out. One of my favorite testimonies from this last year in our church is the way that God has just blown up our college ministry over here. And, the, you know, a year ago we had, we had three, and, three main leaders and, and just a handful of people that were hanging around. So we had uh, Zach and Nam and Gabby, and they were plugging in. And then all of a sudden, boom, explosion, and God starts to move among us. Um, in our college ministry, and God's doing amazing things right there, and um, uh, uh, several people pouring into Nam's life, like the like the Ericus, Ericsons or Jonathan Reynolds, and and Paul uh, um, Paul Hopkins begins to disciple Nam, and Nam uh, begins to disciple another guy who's on fire for Jesus, um, Austin Morrow. So Austin comes in, he's on fire for Jesus. Nam is encouraging him, saying, "Go, go, 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 Austin." Austin goes uh, to A uh, 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 Galveston down there on the island, and, and he's down there uh, on the island living for Jesus, smiling for Jesus, loving everybody around him, and all of a sudden he starts winning people to Christ, pulling people in, all the way to the point where we got to go down and we got to start a life group down on Galveston A&M because of what God is doing uh, among that crew over there. And then all of a sudden uh, Austin starts dis discipling Devin and some of these other guys you know, that, that, that they're beginning to pour into, and all of a sudden we hear we got a discipleship movement. Going on Paul to, to Nam to now Austin to Devin. Now Devin's investing in people. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And we're saying, man, that's who we are. 
We are people who takes those who are far from God and we introduce them to Jesus and we get a, give them a vision to live a reproducing life, experiencing the life of God and then giving it away to other people. And man, I would like to see nothing more than to see a discipleship movement spread like yeast through dough throughout this city. Different discipleship lines where all of us are investing in people who are investing in people and it's just growing and growing and growing. That's God's heart for this city. Our vision here, um, some of our strategy is we are planted here in in, in the Bay Area, Houston, and we are looking to build up a congregation down here that would be around 1,000 to 1,500, whatever the Lord would give. But we believe when we reach that critical mass, we will be, have a strong enough home base that we can launch disciple-making movements among those who would never step foot in a worship service like this that are in our city. The Nigerian population, we want to reach them with a disciple-making movement. For the uh, Bhutanese refugees that are living in the apartment complexes, we want to see disciple-making movements start through them. And we also want to have a strong home base that we can start campus ministries downtown, West Pearland, Galveston, other places around here, and maybe eventually plant churches in the north side of, of Houston or in the west side of Houston. We're called to make disciples, plant churches, and bring kingdom restoration everywhere we go. He's called us to Houston. We care about Houston, but we also believe that Houston is here for a greater purpose than itself. That God is looking for a people that would come together that, he, that God could mobilize Houstonians for the world. For those of you who heard me share before the, some of the history of the founding of, of Houston in the greater Houston area here. Uh, Houston was started by two brothers named Allen. Okay? So we got a lot of several streets there named Allen, named after these guys. And these guys stepped in kind of in the, in the mid-1800s with a vision to establish um, a city that would be a port city to rival New Orleans. And here was their strategy. They thought to themselves, hey, Houston has all of these bayous, right? It's the bayou city. And they saw all of these bayous. What, what is a bayou? A bayou is, is the, um, the end of a river that doesn't make it all the way to the ocean. It's, 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 it's kind of a dead end stop of a river in which just kind of a pool or just a stream or a creek has just come to a dead end. And as a result, those bayous are lifeless, stagnant waters. And their vision was, hey, we've got a few of these bayous right here. What if we started digging uh, between these that are really closely connected and we, uh, we, we can create this ship channel that flows from the heart of the city into Galveston Bay and we can create this port city here. Connecting stagnant bodies of water to create an international port city. And I'll tell you what, Houston is an international city. International commerce, trade, business, government, healthcare. In many ways, Houston is renowned globally, but it's time for the church to catch up with the private sector and say that the church in Houston exists for the world. And what God is wanting to do, not only through us, but through other churches in this city, is he's wanting to take lifeless stagnant bodies of water, whether that's an individual or a church, and he's wanting to connect them together to gather the scattered sheep, to create opportunity for a life-giving river to flow through the heart of the city and the Holy Spirit. And as God moves, as he brings unity, as he brings uh, uh, the, the scattered home, that there would be a move of the Holy Spirit that would spread through this port to the nations of the earth. That's God's destiny, his spiritual destiny for our city, and we want to be a part of it. God has called us to plant churches. He's called us to grow. He's called us to the nations. Here's a covenant promise from Isaiah 54 that he has spoken over the entire Antioch movement of which we are a part of. And it says this, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. God has called us to grow. He has called us to reach more people and expand. We want to grow as a church, but not to feel better about ourselves. I have no need to have numbers, nickels, and noses to make me feel better about myself. Jesus did that on the cross, but you know what? People in Houston need Jesus, so the church needs to grow. 
We need to reach. The kingdom needs to expand, and we're called to enlarge the place of our tent. And we're called to spread out to the right and left. We're called to go wide, and we're called to go deep in this city. And the inheritance we have is nations and cities. And we are beginning to walk out on this. If you were here last week, we sent out our first, long, uh, first two long-term missionaries to the Dominican Republic. In the next year, we're going to have five more go behind them to the Dominican Republic. We're starting a church planning school this fall where we're, we have at least seven and there's about four others that are on the bubble. As many as 11 people are going to be going through our church planning school to be sent out to be full-time vocational ministries among unreached people in the world. Next year, we're going to be sending out our first independent um, team in which we own to Turkey. Um, we just sent two short-term trips there. You heard about it last week, but we are raising up our own team that we're going to be sending there. And We also have Two other couples who are praying and seeking God right now about leading new teams that are going to be starting in new countries that we're going to be sending out in 2017. And some of those nations are some of the hardest to reach nations of the world. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. God, we're, going to, we're going to make disciples. We're going to plant churches. And we're going to bring kingdom restoration. And we're going to do it in our city. We're going to do it in our nation. And we're going to do it among the unreached nations of the world. Let me end with this one last story. Last summer, uh, we sent a short-term trip to Santiago, Dominican Republic, where we have uh, a close relationship and, um, with the pastor there. You heard about more of that last week. And uh, this team just saw God move in power. We served the poor, shared the gospel. Many people came to Christ, saw the power of God, people being restored and set free from pain in their, in their lives. <coughs> we also had the incredible opportunity to host an Unbound conference, okay? And Unbound, again, uh, for those of you who don't know, is our anti-human trafficking initiative um, in the city and beyond. Uh, listen to the, the message two weeks ago, and you'll hear some incredible things that God is doing here in our city with that. But we were invited by a, a local university in Santiago to host a conference um, uh, bringing awareness to the, uh, the, the problem of human trafficking on the island of Hispaniola, the Dominican Republic. And so we didn't know if we were going to have 30, 40 people there. It was supposed to start at 5 o'clock, and there were like 10 people in the room. And we're like, wow, what, is, what are we doing here? And all of a sudden, they began to flood in because they have a different time uh, lifestyle than we do here in the United States. And they started trickling in, and we had almost 300 people pack in to this place. And we began to bring awareness, share, here's the problem that we have in Houston. Here's the, here's the problem that's on the island. We share this problem. Let's work together, churches, governmental agencies, and let's work together to, to see this, this issue eradicated in our generation. And as we're sharing vision here, we've got all kinds of students, educators. We've got governmental officials, law enforcement, healthcare workers, all present here hearing this. And at the end of the time, the, the president of the university that was hosting this stood up, and this is what he said before the whole group. He says, as I have been listening to this presentation by Unbound, my heart has been burning. And it hasn't stopped since the very beginning. This is a problem that has been right next to us, and we have not noticed it. But not after tonight. Tonight, Unbound has brought this problem to our attention, and it has been unveiled. And now we, the people of Dominican, will take action, and the Dominican Republic will never be the same. We got back on the bus that day, and we were just praising God. and saying, this is how nations are transformed. In the last year, there was the, the largest rescue mission for girls in being trafficked in Sasuda, a place that we've put our foots in prayer walks. There were 26 women that were rescued from trafficking. And last week, we just got noticed that there was a conviction and a sentence for a trafficker in Santo Domingo, and it's the first one in 20 years in that nation. And God is moving. The church can change the world. The church is called to change the world. We are called to change the world. Antioch, Houston. And here's how I figure it. We got about 400 people here. In some people's eyes, that's kind of a small church. The way I look at it is Jesus had 120 people in the upper room when the church was started and the Holy Spirit came, and that church went like wildfire, spreading the gospel. We got four times that many here. 
We're not a small church. We're, man, God is just waiting and ready to use a people who will say yes to his mission in their city and in the nations of the earth. The church at Antioch, a gathering of the scattered, a gathering for the presence of God and for the encouragement of the people of God. An Antioch community church sent with a mission, a go people. That's who we see the Antioch church was in scriptures, and that is who we are as a people. Let's stand. If I could invite the worship team up um, and some life group leaders, you could come forward here. We're going to take just a moment here as we close to respond. This time at the end of our services is not an afterthought. It's the time where we hear the word of God and we listen to God and determine in our hearts that we're going to be doers of the word and not hear only. It's a chance for us to say, Lord Jesus, what are you saying to me and how I need to respond? For many of you in this room, you need to respond by coming forward for prayer because there's a situation going on in your life today and you, you need that encouragement. I know that in a room this size, we've got scattered sheep and you're feeling wounded or you're feeling lost or you're feeling like you're new and everything's new to you right here or maybe you're one of those unempowered leaders and you're saying, man, I'm ready for the mission. I'm ready to give my life for something that's bigger than myself. And maybe you say today, I'm the scattered, I'm the stagnant, I'm the lifeless person, and I need encouragement to step into what God has for me. If that's you, I want to invite you this morning for prayer. The team up here, just fellow people coming after Jesus who just need, need encouragement just like I, you and I do. But we want to encourage and build one another up. If you have any other need this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to learn more about what that means, I invite you to come forward. We want to pray with you and encourage you this morning. But for all of us, we're going to sing this song once more that, that we sang during the offering time, Never Once. And for those of you that have been around Antioch, this church, for a while, I want us to reflect and celebrate all the good things that God has done. But I also want us to look forward. And we were going to say, God, you have been faithful, but you are faithful today, and you will be faithful as we look ahead. And for those of you who have not been about Antioch, you can look back and just say, all my journey, all, way, all, all, all along the way, I've not been alone. You've been with me. And maybe today you're looking for a tribe and this is your time to jump in. So wherever you're coming from today, let's seek Jesus as we sing this. Let's respond to him. Get prayer if we, if we need it. But let's all respond in our hearts to God. Can we do that together? So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your heart and the privilege of being a part of what you're doing in this city and in the nations, Lord. And we welcome you here right now to kind of seal the deal. What are you saying for me in this next season? I pray that even right now you'd begin to place us in our kingdom position for this next season. I pray that you would draw in the scattered, bring life to the lifeless and the stagnant, heal the brokenhearted and the, the sick and the wounded, Lord. Save those who don't know you. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. Come, Lord, now. In Jesus' name, we pray. You come for prayer. Let's all worship as we need.